0: Morning, journey. Good, morning. It's good to have you here. Hey, there's a, something going on on the MSU campus this is Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's called Catapalooza. Are you familiar with that? Hey, you know, it's a time where uh, maybe I should ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you knew almost no one, you're away from home, uh, you're about to be in the midst of a whole bunch of people and just didn't quite know how to function? Just think of these college students that are coming, uh, especially the freshmen, but uh, uh, students from all over the map, coming and uh, not knowing anyone, wishing somebody would kind of catch up with them, give them some directions or just say hi and just be a friend to them along the way. Well, Journey has a boot at Catapalooza, we can play some games while you're there, just say hi to kids, we have some things that, to give them. And you know, um, uh, the students that come there really do uh, need somebody to say hello. And to just uh, greet them and help them feel welcome. And if you want to invest some time in something that would be worth it, uh, that would be a great time. It's Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. You can sign up for any small part or larger part of time on any of those days. There's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. And uh, if you do that, you could put that on your list of something that really matters that you did this week. Something where you invested in people's lives. So how many of you like to make lists? Kind of find the list maker. Who are the list makers in the group? Okay. And you really would like to see your hands one more time. Okay. Yeah, see there. I want you to know, those of you that didn't raise their hand, they're out there. They're out there. You know, uh, I love lists. I really do. Uh, honestly, this is an easy uh, uh, illustration in my life. Uh, when I wake up in the morning on my day off, I'll say something in my mind. I'll kind of go, I need to make a list. This is great. And a lot of times it'll be a list of something I really enjoy doing. Sometimes there are things that obviously have to get done. But a list is your friend, folks. Right? I spent about 15 years of my married life trying to convince my wife of the moral superiority of those people that make lists. (laughs) Hasn't worked well. She does make a few lists now. But on my list is she still loves me. When you make a list, part of the actual beautiful part of making a list is what? Checking it off. Check it off. List of nine things. Fourth thing. Check it off. It's a lovely experience. If somebody next to you raised their hand who loves to make lists, turn to them right now and say, there are support groups for that. You know, we kind of bug each other. Sometimes we even marry opposites in that regard. And um, uh, listing is uh, is one of those things that can actually drive you nuts, I suppose. I'm glad my wife does still love me. But, you know, um, honestly, we also make lists spiritually, don't we? Many times we have our own list of how we determine how we're doing and how we determine how other people are doing because of the lists that we've made as to what is a good Christian like? What is a godly, good Christian life like? And I want you to know that you probably have one and the person next to you has one and they're not the same. You get that? So that's gonna be a problem if your lists are not the same. What's on your list that constitutes a godly Christian? Now, honestly, I want you to know that Derry Long and I are almost exactly the same age. And uh, just because he shaved his head and looks a lot younger doesn't mean he and I are not the same age, okay? Uh, But I do know that Derry is old enough, because of a sermon or two ago, he's old enough to remember when movies were on the list of ungodly things to do. You didn't go to movies. Do you remember that sermon? Didn't go to movies if you were a good Christian until things kind of changed. Well, when I got saved, there were lots of things on the list. I, I, I came from a non-Christian background totally, and, and uh, I began to realize that, you know, nobody was really talking about it, but it's out there. You don't do certain things if you're a good Christian. And back when I first got saved, those things were like playing cards. Didn't play cards. And you didn't uh, dance and you didn't, uh, didn't go to movies, and didn't drink any kind of alcohol. And if you're a good Christian, good Christians don't smoke, and they don't chew, and they don't go with girls who do. <laughs> Heard that before? Just one of those little things that you had to remember as a new Christian. Well, um, the problem with lists and the problem with, with their entrance into our life as Christians is that lists change from person to person, like I just mentioned, and they also change from decade to decade, don't they? In my first youth pastorate in Sweet Home, Oregon, in about nineteen let's see, eighty no nineteen uh, seventy three something like that first youth pastor, I had a myriad of, of opportunities to serve as an associate pastor. you do essentially everything the lead pastor does not want to do. That was your job description. One of them was the student ministry and uh, I was a youth pastor back that 's what they call it called student, student ministry now, but a part of the, part of the uh, uh, youth group, uh, students in the youth group said, hey, you know, it would be great, Sam, if we could get a, a pool table into our youth facility, our friends would come because nobody, uh, there's no place to go to play pool that we can go to, because pool uh, tables were in places that, at that time that usually people didn't uh, want their kids going to. So, I said, that's a great idea, coming from a non-Christian home, and I don't know any different, I kind of like, okay, let's do that. So I took that to the church council. Hey, guys, you know, let's get a pool table and put it in the youth facility. And I could see right off the bat, wasn't going to happen. Thumbs down. And the response was essentially, you know, we don't want our kids learning how to do things in, in the church that will lead them into places, pool halls, bars, and things like that, uh, that are questionable. We just don't want to do that. So it's no. The answer is no. Bummer. You know, it took me about at least four months, maybe five months to get that billiard table into the youth facility. (laughs) A billiard table. Yeah, that's what it is. And I also found out in the process, which didn't hurt anything, that that several of the people in the church had billiard tables in their basement. (laughs) Oh, the list had changed. We've kind of... Changed it for our own benefit. And we do that with our spiritual list, don't we? Any of you play cards? Ah. <gasps> All right. I think I've made my point there. But the issue is is this, you guys. Um mean that we can't say that certain things are genuinely sinful and wrong. The Bible gives us plenty of things that are destructive and ungodly that we know are non-productive. It's not like we don't have any standards. We certainly do. But there are certain things that we just have to be careful about when we make lists. Well, uh, let me just say this to you. Uh, This is the issue, isn't it? That uh, the list doesn't change the heart, right? Making a list of do's and don'ts doesn't necessarily change people's hearts. You can't, you know, we've heard it in the political realm, you can't legislate morality. Well, maybe you kind of can sometimes. But it's nothing wrong with saying this is not right. And having some things that we have that are laws and rules and stuff. But that doesn't necessarily mean you've changed the people's hearts just because you've said that. Jesus and his teaching focused on changed hearts. Start here not changing our outward behavior by a group of lists we check off. Now, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, you're familiar with them, they always keep popping up in Scripture, were always challenging Jesus. And they were trying to uh, uh, trap him or trick him or uh, trip him up when it came to the law and trying to get him to, um, to be condemned because of what he said about the law. Have you ever met people like that? I want you to get this, folks. It really, there's, a, there's just a sense. You all know, you all feel it, but I know, don't know if you can actually put words to it. I've had friends that are, that are Christ followers who are list makers, and they, they gauge their spirituality by the things they do and the things they don't do. And when I'm around them, I never feel really accepted or comfortable around them because I know that I'm likely doing something that's on their list of no right? I'm likely doing something that they disagree with. And so they don't accept me. They don't, they don't affirm me. They don't try to build me up. There, there's not just a general attitude of love for each other, trying to encourage each other along spiritually. And do you feel built up or validated when you're around people like that? I don't. Or do you feel like you never quite measure up? Nice try. That really bugs me. I don't like living that way. The question is, is that the way God evaluates you? Does he have his list? <laughs> oh, man. And he's got, by the way, he's got the right one. Well, in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, we find that Jesus simplified the issue. He, he got to the short list. All right here it is. Matthew 22, 34 through 40 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them said, uh, an expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the entire law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know, all that law, guys, that you're defending and you're guarding scribes and Sadducees and Pharisees, you could fulfill that if you'll fulfill these two laws. It's very interesting. When your heart is right before God, our behavior can be naturally and progressively transformed out of love for God. Laws and lists have never changed a person's heart. So before you leave here today, I'd like you to consider uh, figuring out how you function. Spiritually. What's your motive for, for even trying to live a godly life today? Well, look inside yourself. You have a set of lists. What's your motive? On your notes page, if you've got one, and hopefully somebody in your family or, your, or who you came with has at least one so you can take it with you. I'd like you, if you would, to draw this diagram I'm about to give to you. I left that space there specifically for that purpose. So if you, if you would there's two reasons I'm going to give you this diagram. One is I hope you'll learn something personally about where you are spiritually in these, this diagram I'm going to give you with two paths. And then secondly, I hope uh, you'll be able to take that and explain how you function spiritually to your friends or to people you run into. Because the vast majority of people need to know this even before they see the, the, uh, the bridge diagram, the bridge. The, uh, of how to, how to become a Christian. Are you familiar with the bridge? How many of you know God's on one side, man's on the other? Raise your hands so I know who, who I'm talking to. A few of you do. Okay, there's another diagram down the line. So hopefully sometime we'll, we'll share too. But I, <clears throat> I think this is the one that comes before that so we can deal with this works uh, issue in our life. So here we go. Um, let's start with this question. What, what's your spiritual plan or your spiritual path? Huh? When we're looking for our motive for living godly lives or living spiritual lives, there's, there's two ways that people actually approach spirituality. And this is a broad stroke I know you're going to go. There's a million ways I know, but I'm going to group them. All right? So let simplify it a bit. There are two paths or two ways that people approach their spiritual life. How do you approach yours? And I would submit to you today that since there are two, uh, that I think most people in the world, all the people in the world, except for one group, choose the path of religion. Okay. They choose the path of religion. I haven't even looked around to see this last night. That looks really good. All right. Religion. So what's that mean? Religion, folks, is a system of works, of things that you do. It's the things that you do to recommend yourself to God, or it's the things that you do to... Um, to actually uh, fit in with your deity or your plan or your design of your religion. It's the stuff that you know that you do to be okay spiritually. And if you were to ask a religious person, I dare you to do this. If you find somebody that you know is depending on what they do for their spiritual benefit, ask them this. How will you know when you've done enough works so that uh, you're going to succeed spiritually? How do you know when you've done enough of those? That's a fair question. Right okay they 'll likely say something like this well you know i 'm doing my best, I, I really am, and I, and I hope it 'll be enough. I really do I hope'll what I do will be enough. The average American in our culture, uh, when i 've run into them these are question, these are responses to that question they 'll say things like well I, I think i 've done more good than bad. you ever had that sure, and it 's like God has this very large cosmic Set of scales up there in heaven. And he's going, okay, okay, Bill's got this one right there. Good one, good one, good Bill. Oh, man, that's not so good. Thump. Okay, well, that's a good one. Let's put some more over here on each one of you. And where he's just keeping track. Well, they may say that, but I have difficulty finding that in Scripture. But they may say also, you know, I try to be a really good person. More good than bad. I try to be a really good person. I try to obey the Ten Commandments. I give to charity. I pray. I try to be kind. These are all things that people do to hopefully spiritually succeed. And if you were to ask them a little more, just press in a little more into your conversation with them. And you say, but but what will happen after you die, given this plan that you've got going here? How will you know whether you've succeeded spiritually so that in the afterlife, you'll have a positive outcome? They'll often respond by saying, well, listen, I, I don't think anybody can know that. I mean, nobody knows how you're really doing. You just do your best. You be a good person and do the right thing. And then hopefully, it'll all turn out well. I always wonder if that's... if that's uh, the way I want to live, for one thing. That's pretty unsure for me. The conclusion to that is this, there is no absolute assurance of spiritual success or eternal life when you approach spirituality through a religious path. There is no assurance, none. Your works and efforts provide no assurance. When I was in India, many years ago I went to India and one of the veteran missionaries there said, you know the goal of every Hindu person here? The goal of every Hindu person that I've ever met in India, he said, is to get off the wheel of reincarnation. To just live good enough so their karma will finally get them off that coming back again and again and again, hopefully to live a life good enough to where finally they drop into the ocean of spiritual nothingness. And it's over. That that's That's sad to me. That's hard. Well, let's look at another path. Not the path of religion, but the other path which is taken by pretty much only one group left in the world, and that's biblical Christians, people who believe what the Bible says about how to approach their spiritual life. And that's the path not of religion, but of relationship, relationship. They would agree that trusting in your own efforts and works has been clearly disqualified as a means of spiritual success or eternal life. Rather than a religious path, they've taken the path in the Bible which offers a relationship with God. They would say rather than trying to recommend themselves over and over again uh, with how good they can be or what they can do, they put their faith in what Christ has already done. He's done that on the cross. You sang about it over and over this morning. It's over because of the cross. Two paths are represented, I mean, the relationship in two paths are represented well in 1 John 4.10. I don't have this on your notes, so if you just want to write the reference and look at it later, it's a terrific verse. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The sacrifice of Christ has taken away our sins. Biblical biblical Christians ask God to forgive them, one. They put their faith in Christ's death on the cross as a punishment for every sin they have ever done and every sin they will ever do. Two great things result from that, folks. One is a relationship has begun with their creator, They have been restored or the great word reconciled with their creator. They've been brought back. That word reconciled means two people that were enemies that were battling each other, that were rebelling against each other have now come together again in friendship, reconciliation. You've been reconciled with God and there's been a change of heart. I no longer stiff arm God. But I welcome God and I serve Him because I love Him. The second thing good result out of that coming to Know Christ is that they, they Christians or people that have come to know Christ according to the Bible have the ability to live out what Jesus asked them to do. Because there's, they've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit comes and empowers you to live a life to actually fulfill that first and greatest commandment and the second one as well. Love the Lord your God. Love others as yourself. You have the ability to do it because of what God has done, what God is doing in you. You have the ability to do it. What about that assurance thing? On this path, what about the assurance you know, this refers to the questions of, can I know if I'm really spiritually successful? How can you know if you're right with God? Uh, can you know if you're going to heaven? People ask that. People think that. And if you talk to them about it, they will generally be interested in that. What do biblical Christians do when it comes to assurance? Well, First John 5, 11 through 13 says this. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written these to you who believe in the name of the son of God, so that you will what? Know that you have eternal life. Can you say that again so that you will what? One more time. No, so that you will know that you have eternal life. There is absolute assurance according to what God has said, that if you come to him through Christ, that you will be with him in eternity. Absolute assurance of his favor, absolute assurance of eternal life. For those of you that have never understood this, never understood the the. Uh, core of the gospel, or the good news of the Christian faith, it's this. Would you hear this? If you've never accepted Christ and you've been depending on your good life or your works, would you just hear this? You need to admit that you can't save or change your life via your good works, through your good works. It's by seeking God's forgiveness and honoring Jesus as the Lord of your life That each day will transform you as God's spirit begins to help you and and give you the ability to do that. But while you're doing that, you have God's promise, his testament that you have already eternal life in the process. You're not trying to earn that. It's yours now. If you've never understood the Christian faith, why the Christian faith is unique to all these other religions? All religions, religions again, are a system of works to appease their God or to affirm that they're they're worthy. And I just hope that if you're not a Christian here today, if you've never done that, you just give up on that. Give up on it because it does not work. God's already provided for your forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you and to put your faith in what Jesus has already done. When Jesus on the cross said, it is what? Finished. It's finished. That's what he meant. You are loved right here. You are loved right now. The, god, the godly living comes then through a, a heart that loves God, who's grateful for what you've done, what God's done for, for them. Okay. Those of you that have never accepted Christ, the rest of you here, which is probably the majority, if you've accepted Christ, I still want to talk to you for a minute as well, because I have talked to many Christians who walk through the day not with the sense of being loved and being free in Christ. They walk through the day like this. How you doing? Ah, pretty good. Now, how you doing spiritually? Ah, pretty good. If you were to ask them, how does God? How do you think God sees you today? Ah, not so good. And they walk in default, in the default mode of thinking that the way they operate on a daily basis somehow has changed the way God, God's attitude toward them. Folks, will you hear me on this? God is saddened. God is saddened when he has sent Jesus to forgive you. He has forgiven your sins according to the Bible. Excuse me. It's over and it's done with and he loves you. It's like a parent who has a son or a daughter whom they love dearly and they see all the great attributes in that son or daughter. They see all the good things and they see the, the things that need to be changed as well, the maturing process. They see all of that, but in the process of that, they love their son or their daughter. And then that son or daughter moves into like pre-adolescence or Uh, the teen years, adolescence, and they begin to buy into something. They begin to buy into the belief that they're not attractive enough, they're not athletic enough, they're not smart enough, they're not liked enough, they're not cool enough, and they begin to live this life. And their parents look at them and go, No, that is not the truth but they grieve, that parent grieves over the fact that their son or their daughter has chosen to live in that reality. They are judging the, the, their self, that son or daughter is judging their self by everybody else's list. Do you do that spiritually? You wake up in the morning, you kind of go, hey, hey, God loves you. He has done all that he knows he can do to prove that to you, hasn't he? Okay, follow my finger. Okay, thank you very much. Okay? He has done all that he can do to say to you, I love you. And everything's gonna be okay. God loves you and by your faith in Christ, those of you that have accepted Christ, he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. You are acceptable to him. He is delighted in you. And you break out your list and go, yeah, but ditch the list when it comes to the way God feels about you. I'm not saying don't mature in Christ, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, move ahead spiritually. Great. But in the process, come on, okay, you are loved you wake up in the morning loved. You, wake, you, you go through the day loved. You get to bed and you pull those covers up and you're loved. You get it? Please, ditch the list. If you want to move ahead spiritually, great. One of my favorite verses is John five twenty four. when it comes to this issue. Listen to the words of Jesus to you, to you, all of you. I tell you the truth those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life you're already in it folks you're in eternal life if you love Jesus and you've uh, trusted him for your for the forgiveness of your sins and you want to do the right thing the list is not the list is out here it's gone then he says they will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death to life. You're already there. Just like that parent, I would say to you, when you look at your kids, think of how God looks at you and say, you know, they're not buying into the right reality. So I would like you to buy into this reality today. You are forgiven God loves you, and it is finished. I don't care how you feel today, nor does God. The reality is God has forgiven you. He loves you. And whether you've been parented poorly or you've had some terrible experiences that causes you to think, yeah, but I'm still not good here, and I'm not good here, not good here. Irrelevant. Live in the reality of what this verse says to you. You are loved. You've been passed from death to life. Would you set your things aside for a minute? Just think about this with me, would you? Kind of bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a little time with God, just you you and him. Some of you may well have more trouble believing this than others because of the way the world has dished it out to you. But I'm saying to you, you are no different than the person next to you who may have had a very easy, much easier life and has an has easier time believing that God loves them. I'm saying to you that both of you have to make a decision to believe what God said. You have to live in that reality. Is there a person here today that is a Christ follower who would say, you know, uh, I've accepted Christ. Uh, I really do trust God. Uh, his death on the cross for my sins. And I'm, I'm wanting to uh, believe that, that he loves me and that my sins genuinely are forgiven. But boy, I, have a, I just have this list or I have this attitude of self-condemnation or things really aren't that good. And, and you know, folks, things can be very, very difficult in your day. And you can still know that you are loved by God and that God stands with you in those situations. But I'm concerned this morning that you would just admit to yourself, hey, um, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, uh, man, I want to make a decision today to live in that reality. I want to choose to believe to put my absolute trust in what God has said that I have passed from death to life I am genuinely forgiven and dearly loved here this morning and I will be when I walk out of here and I will be from now until I see him face to face if you needed to hear that and you are going to make an intentional decision to believe that and to affirm that to yourself and even to other people but especially to yourself I'm going to keep admitting what God has said is true starting today and I have not done well at that in the past but I'm going to begin today living in that reality would you, around here you know we just ask you to look up and put your hand up if you're going to make that kind of decision if you'd like to say I'm going to do that today would you just put your hand up and look up at me and say I'm going to do that God bless you, you bet, absolutely yes, yes I see those two yes, what else do you bet you absolutely you bet. Anybody else? You betcha. Gonna make that decision. I'm going to I'm going to believe God. I see those hands. And the cool thing is, you betcha, God sees those hands. I believe that. It's between you and God. The fact that I saw it is good in that you've made a commitment and you know you've said uh, by the raise of your hands, I want to do that. The key then is to say, I'm going to walk out of here with God knowing that that is true. That is my reality. Then there are those of you that, that may be here this morning that maybe this was kind of a new thought to you, new information about hey, you don't just try to be good and try to be good. You have this list of good things that you do, and hopefully someday God will pay attention to that, and you'll be okay when you die. But you've never actually accepted Christ as your Savior. But this sounds pretty good. If you've never accepted Christ, and you'd like to set that to-do list aside... And trust Christ and all that he's done on the cross to forgive you. And he has taken your punishment for all those sins. And you'd like to trust him uh, for that today. You'd like to say in your heart of hearts, Jesus, I'm sorry for these things. I'm sorry that I have tried to earn my way back to you. I trust you and what you've done for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust you and what you've done for my path and my avenue not only to my relationship with God but to being in heaven someday forever if you'd like to do that just put your hand up and look up at me right now if you would by saying that you're just saying I'm going to do that today I'm going to trust Christ as as the one who's taken the punishment and has done everything that needs to be done just raise your hand and put it up Lord Jesus I thank you for being able to know that you are not a liar. And in spite of how we feel at times, in spite of the way our day is going, Lord, I pray for every person here that they would be able to believe that you love them in spite of that, that it's all over with and that you walk through that hard day with them. Thank you, Lord, for making us your children. Thank you for believing in us, for giving us the opportunity even to respond to you. Thank you for your ability to tell us that grace means that we do get what we don't deserve. Thank you for your grace. We love you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for providing that grace for us. In the name of our risen Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.